Welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a leading technology platform that helps clients manage their financial crime risk exposure through a combination of innovation, insight, and intelligence. Our podcasts aim to bring you insight, views, emerging trends, and thought leadership from industry leaders and our own financial crime experts. Find out more about Themis at crime.financial. In this episode, as part of Themis's Women in Financial Crime series, Consuelo Marzi, a senior manager at the Maltese Financial Intelligence Analysis Unit, talks to Themis think tank manager, Olivia Dekeen, about Malta's impressive work to improve its anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing controls, which resulted in it being taken off the Financial Action Task Force grey list of jurisdictions with strategic deficiencies in June. Listen to this podcast to find out more about Malta's response to the FATF grey listing, the country's subsequent work on key financial crime issues, and lessons learned from the process. Consuelo is a senior manager at the Maltese Financial Intelligence Analysis Unit, or FIAU, which is the entity responsible for the collection, collation, processing, analysis, and dissemination of information to combat money laundering and the funding of terrorism. Prior to joining the FIAU in 2019, she worked in the legal and corporate services sector. She is a UK qualified solicitor and holds a Bachelor of Laws from City, University of London, and a Master of Laws from the IMO, International Marine Time Law Institute in Malta. It's my pleasure to be here today talking to Consuela Marzi as part of Themis's series of Women in Financial Crime podcasts. Consuelo works in a fascinating area and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about some of her work in relation to the recent delisting of Malta from the FATF Grey List, which she's been heavily involved in and has really seen from start to finish. So to start off, Consuelo, if we take a step back from the recent delisting and look at how and why Malta was put on the grey list in the first place back in June 2021, can you give us a bit of background and context around that, please? Okay, sure. So let's start off with a brief overview of the FATF and Moneyval and their respective roles. So starting with the FATF, the FATF is an intergovernmental body that establishes international standards for combating money laundering, terrorist financing and proliferation financing. So in its role, the FATF basically develops and refines the international AML-CFD standards, which are known as the 40 FATF recommendations. The FATF also assesses and monitors compliance with the FATF recommendations. They monitor countries with strategic AML-CFT deficiencies, and they identify and analyze threats to the integrity of the financial system, for example, through methods and trends involved. And lastly, they also ensure clear understanding of the FATF recommendations and processes. So the way that the FATF ensures adherence to its to the 40 FATF standards is through mutual evaluations. And mutual evaluations are carried out through the FATF global network. So when I say the global network, I'm referring to FATF members, observers, associate members, which are FATF style regional bodies and observer organizations. So these are the different 
types of bodies which span the FATF global network. Now, since not all countries are FATF members, certain countries are evaluated by FATF-style regional bodies. So MoneyVal is an FATF-style regional body which assists the FATF in carrying out evaluations within the European Union. So MoneyVal was actually the body that was responsible for assessing Malta's technical compliance through the evaluation which started in 2017 until 2019. So a mutual evaluation normally takes 14 months and there are six major steps involved. These are country training, a test-based technical compliance assessment, a scoping note, an on-site visit, face-to-face -face meeting, plenary discussion and approval. And evaluations are normally carried out every four to six years. So it's not something that only happens once and a country can expect more than one evaluation. So currently Malta just finished its fifth round of mutual evaluations. And mutual evaluations have two components. So they assess technical compliance as well as effectiveness. So first, the, the evaluation would assess how compliant a country is with the 40 FATF recommendations, as well as the degree to which a country is achieving the 11 immediate outcomes. And these 11 immediate outcomes represent the key outcomes for an effective AML, CFT, PFT regime. So this is done following the FATF methodology, and the same methodology applies irrespective of the body carrying out the review. So mutual evaluations have actually shown that whilst most jurisdictions are technically compliant, they are not necessarily effective. So it's really important to note that it doesn't mean that because a jurisdiction has great technical compliance that this is enough to pass a mutual evaluation because you actually have to prove that you are also effective. And the emphasis on effectiveness actually started in 2013 with the change in the FATF methodology. So after the mutual evaluation, there is the adoption of the mutual evaluation report. And all countries have to then report back to the FATF on their progress and improving their effectiveness in combating money laundering and terrorist financing. So by default, countries are put into what is termed the regular follow-up process, but countries with poorer evalu mutual evaluation reports are then required to report back more frequently. And this is known as the enhanced follow-up procedure. Now, in parallel, a country can actually enter into an ICRG review. So this is an international cooperation review group. And this would happen if they received poor results in their mutual evaluation. So the countries that enter into this ICRG are identified publicly and they have to complete an action plan to remedy their strategic deficiencies. Now, normally countries that fare badly in these evaluations are given a grace period of a year to a year and a half within which they have to reform. And after this period passes, a decision is then taken to assess whether these reforms have actually been made or not. In the event that the reforms have not been sufficiently implemented, a country can be grey listed. And it's really important to note that countries are grey listed after rigorous evaluation and a lot of discussions. And they're basically seen as not being sufficiently effective in monitoring and combating money laundering. So that's a little bit of background on the how. Now, if we turn to the why, uh, the reasons why Malta was grey listed, basically MoneyVal in 2017 through to 19 assessed Malta's technical compliance with the 40 FATF recommendations. 
And in 2019, Monta started off with an action plan of 58 recommended actions across the 11 immediate outcomes. And Malta was given a year and a half to implement these recommendations. So when assessing the implementation of the recommendations, the FATF actually determined that reforms were made in all but three of the recommended actions. So these three pending recommended actions were the, re the basis of Malta's grey listing. So when you look at Malta's technical compliance, Malta is actually graded to be positive. It's positively rated across all 40 recommendations. But the issue remained with these three recommended actions in relation to effectiveness. And the three recommended actions were in respect of two immediate outcomes. So immediate outcome five and immediate outcome six. So immediate outcome five deals with legal persons and arrangements. And immediate outcome five basically seeks to ensure that countries have effective systems in place to ensure that legal persons and arrangements are prevented from being used for money laundering and terrorist financing. And secondly, they, it also ensures that beneficial ownership information is readily available. So in this respect, Malta was seen as having a high risk of concealment, of potential concealment of beneficial ownership. And in turn, this results that there is a high risk of having incorrect beneficial ownership information with the registry. So this is obviously seen as a red flag because when you are trying to conceal beneficial ownership, this can be indica indicative of ill intentions, such as the company being used to launder money and to conceal the owner so that the funds cannot be traced back to the true owner. And the FATF concluded that there were a very limited amount of sanctions in respect of beneficial ownership breaches. So this raised concerns because it looked as though potentially there were ineffective enforcement mechanisms in place in this respect. So the FATF recommended that Malta either apply remedial actions or sanctions in respect of cases of non-compliance. Now, in parallel, there was a recommendation made to the Malta Business Registry, which is Malta's company's house, to ensure that they held accurate information on beneficial ownership. And in the event that they found that there was non-compliance or incorrect information, that sanctions were actually imposed. So I will talk about it later, but the FIU in respect of IO5 actually conducted an extensive thematic examination. And the results of this examination actually showed that the incidence of bio concealment was not as prevalent as was initially suspected. Now, the second immediate outcome was immediate outcome six, which deals with the use of financial intelligence. And in respect of immediate outcome six, Malta was asked to give further importance and focus on the use of intelligence on tax crimes. So specifically the proceeds of foreign tax crimes. So in this respect, Malta was seen as having a high risk of being used to launder funds arising from tax potentially evaded overseas. So they, the focus here was on non-Maltese residents using Malta to conceal and launder the funds that was based funds from tax evaded overseas. So since then, Malta carried out a really detailed risk assessment to get a better picture of the risk. And the grey listing was not about the risk faced by the jurisdiction in relation to foreign proceeds of tax evasion, but rather how this was mitigated by the authorities. So this included better use of intelligence and resources, better cooperation between supervisory authorities, as well as better delineation between the rules of the FIU and the tax authorities. So that's a little bit of a summary on the actual mutual evaluation process and the reasons why Malta was grey listed. 
Thanks, Ms. Swallow. That's, that's really, really useful background. Um, and so we know that being grey listed by the FATF can be damaging, but what do you think some of the repercussions associated with it are? So basically, grey listing means that the FATF has identified a country and has said that this country has strategic deficiencies in its AML CFD systems. And an action plan is then drawn up to remedy these deficiencies. So that being said, although it, the country has been identified as having deficiencies, it also signifies that the FATF recognize that the jurisdiction is willing to remedy the deficiencies. Because as I mentioned, an action plan is then implemented and the country has to be willing to accept and then implement this action plan. So that is sort of the positive aspect to it. But obviously being realistic, it has you know severe reputational and economic impacts. And I would say that the main impacts relate to uh, attractiveness to foreign investors. So foreign investors might no longer consider that jurisdiction as an ideal place where to invest, and it can lead to existing investors looking at other jurisdictions. It can also impact local businesses wanting to do business internationally or wanting to carry out international transactions. And the reason for this impact is because once a jurisdiction is gray listed, it impacts the jurisdiction's reputation. And for example, financial institutions will now deem this jurisdiction as being at a high risk for money laundering and terrorist financing purposes. So this can mean that they would ask for more rigorous CDD processes, there'd be more documentation requests. And in some cases they, they carry out de-risking, so they would choose not to deal with that jurisdiction at all. So, for example, a person coming from a grey listed jurisdiction wanting to open a bank account with an overseas bank might find that it is a lot more difficult or it might even find that the bank does not accept them because they are a national of a grey listed country. So for these reasons, it does have it does have impacts on you know, both a country's reputation and the economy. I'm just going to pause the podcast here to let you know about Themis Search, an end-to-end SaaS screening and investigations platform that will help you to easily search, screen, and monitor your clients, suppliers, and third parties to check if they have any links to financial crime. It also allows you to perform a deep dive investigation and produce an editable enhanced due diligence report. It's updated every six hours with the latest data, including sanctions, adverse media, law enforcement, and PEP status. We draw data from a wealth of sources, but also have our own proprietary Themis conviction data around different financial crime typologies, making Themis search highly unique. Book a demo at crime.financial. And you've been really involved with the process of getting Malta off the grey list with your work at the FIAU. So what have you set up or put in place as a result and how did the delisting process work? So first, it's important to mention that post the money value evaluation in 2017 to 2019, there was a, an action plan with 58 recommended actions. So the gray listing was based on um, the non-implementation of three of these recommended actions only. So there was a lot of work done already post 2019. But as mentioned, uh, the gray listing was based on three recommended actions under two immediate outcomes. So under immediate outcome five, which is on legal arrangements, first of all, Malta carried out two risk assessments. And the first risk assessment on was on legal persons and arrangements at higher risk of being misused for money laundering. And the second on gatekeepers, so corporate service providers, who were at a high risk of non-adherence to beneficial ownership obligations. 
And the reason these risk assessments was carried out was to use the results to come up with a really detailed and well-informed supervisory plan. And this plan would be able to monitor compliance on two levels. Uh, first of all, by legal persons and arrangements themselves. And this was carried out by the Malta Business Registry, as well as on to come up with a plan to assess the compliance to be obligations by gatekeepers, so CSPs. And as mentioned, this was done through the FIU's thematic review. So this thematic review was aimed at gauging the correctness of other or otherwise of the FIU's assessment of the level of effectiveness as CSPs when acting as gatekeepers. So obviously the role of CSPs is really important. And we wanted to understand whether our assessment was correct or not. And this thematic review covered a total of 40 CSPs, and it looked at 930 customer companies. And the results of this thematic examination were actually quite positive. And it indicated that most CSPs are actually compliant with their beneficial ownership related obligations. And we noted that non-compliance was actually limited to exceptional cases. That was on immediate outcome five on legal persons and arrangements. Now, on immediate outcome six, which is on financial intelligence, following the grey listing, Maltese authorities adopted a national strategy on the detection, prevention and investigation of tax crimes and the associated money laundering. So this was accompanied by a really detailed action plan to assess the FATF's action points. And this document comprised of the national tax risk assessment which was coordinated by the Maltese National Coordinating Committee. And it was actually based on findings of various authorities coming together to come up with this, this detailed assessment. Uh, there was also clarifications made in respect of the roles and responsibilities. And this would really improve the level of exchanges of information. And it, it's important so that authorities are not duplicating work and carrying out the same work without being aware of this. Uh, Malta also set up a dedicated task force which was made up of different relevant authorities. And this facilitated information sharing and facilitated analysis of complex criminal tax cases. Uh, there were also more tax-related um, ML disseminations from the FIU to the CRF, so the Maltese tax authorities, as well as the police for criminal investigation. And finally, there was an increase in the use of the FIU's financial intelligence for tax-related investigations. So these are the actions that we took in light of the recommendation action, in light of the three recommended actions, which were deemed to be not adequately implemented. Now, when you speak about the process of delisting, basically the process to delist a country is taken each year at the FATF plenary, which is the decision-making body of the FATF. So once grey listed in June, um, there were follow-ups every three months. And every three months, um, Malta had to submit detailed statistics and other evidence to prove that they were implementing the action plan. And there is then the joint group review and the joint group makes recommendations to the ICRG working group. And the decision is then taken on, on the way forward. Now, before a country can exit a gray list, the plenary actually has to decide to launch an on-site mission. And the ICRG recommends a course of action to the plenary. So the scope of the on-site mission is really important because they come to the on-site mission to ensure that the reforms made are sustainable. So it's important for the FATF to understand that these reforms are long-term and it is not just something being implemented simply to get off the gray list or simply to pass a mutual evaluation. And during an on-site, there's also 
they're looking for a confirmation that there is political backing and political will to actually sustain these reforms long term. So the decision for the onsite is only taken when the ICRG and plenary are convinced that enough progress has actually been made. So once this onsite takes place at the following plenary, the decision whether to exit the grey list or not is taken. So in Malta's case, this was a year after the grey listing this June. That's really interesting. Thank you. And were there any particularly tricky aspects or um, or challenging areas to being delisted, did you find? So the first point I'd like to make is that Malta did not really have a very extensive action plan because we already did so much work post-2019. So as I was mentioning, there were really only three recommended actions. So that is something important to take note of. And we were already doing a lot of work and making a lot of these reforms um, after 2019. But what we noted is that Maltese authorities came together really quickly. And as I mentioned, Malta has a national coordinating committee, which coordinates um, this work. And we found that authorities came together really quickly and they were all working towards the same goal. Uh, another thing that we noted is that we saw great collaboration from the private sector, as well as their representative bodies. Now, the private sector and representative bodies were involved, for example, through helping us with case studies. They were also involved with assisting with the interpretation of tax rules to improve Malta's analysis of tax-related money laundering. And we also noted that the private sector representative bodies were really urging their members to be compliant, to be aware of AML-CFT obligations. So we really, really saw great collaboration there. And that I think really helped because everybody was really working towards the same goal, which was to get off the gray list as quickly as possible. Now, of course, there are also some tricky areas. And one of these areas is, for example, ways to evaluate the accuracy of data. Because in many cases, for example, with the BO register, it is not the regulator that is inputting this data, but it is rather the legal entities themselves. So it's quite difficult sometimes to evaluate whether this data is accurate or not. So in this respect, through the thematic examination, we really move away through traditional uh, from traditional means of supervision and we came up with really creative ways and used multi-pronged approaches in order to ensure the accuracy of this data so it was also a great learning process for us and I think sometimes delisting or trying to get off the gray list you have to implement processes very, very quickly. And this can sometimes be, be difficult because you are working you know, in a tight timeline and, and sometimes overhauling your, your current processes. But I would say that overall, we found that we really found everybody wanted to collaborate with exiting and with helping the regulator uh, implement the action plan. So that's something that really made the process a lot easier for us. That sounds really positive. And we talked about it a little bit earlier um, about the benefits and the drawbacks of grey listing, um, about the way it can damage a country and also act as a, a necessary impetus at the same time for it to really improve its AML and CFT processes. In the case of Malta overall, do you think it's been a positive or a negative for the country? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, obviously grey listing comes with reputational repercussions for a country. But we anticipate that now that we've been delisted, it's going to have a really positive effect because now for the first time since 2017, as well as the Panama Papers leak in 2016, it's the first time that an international body is actually recognizing the positive efforts that have been made by Malta to enhance its AML-CFT framework. And obviously the FATF being the global AML-CFT standard setter, recognizing this is really important. And I think it really validates all the work that Malta has done. 
But I mean, in addition to that, I think these evaluation processes and more so grey listing, they really pressure a country to implement reforms and to become more effective in fighting crime. And they really help to ensure investment, political backing and focus on this goal to improve the AML CFD systems. Uh, we have also seen a lot of investments in, in systems used and, as I mentioned, the cooperation that was shown by the private sector was really out, outstanding and that really helped as well. Of course, there's a lot of hard work involved and you have to sometimes adjust and re rewrite the, the processes that you currently have, but we found that this was also helpful because it it helped us issue more guidance. And we noted that there was more guidance being issued in this respect to the private sector. And it wasn't necessarily that new rules were coming out, but there was more outreach in order for everybody to understand their obligations. And as I mentioned, um, there was a lot learned in terms of supervision and coming up with more practices that were less traditional, but that were really useful and creative, especially when evaluating whether data is accurate or not. I think that the most important thing is that from day one, we really tried to use this, the gray listing as a value adding tool. And you have, you know, the FATF, which is the standard, the global standard setter, being able to sort of guide you and um, tell you what you need to reform on. So as much as possible, we try to see it in a positive way and, and use, use it as a value adding tool. And I think that really helped as well. That's really encouraging to, to hear about that positive approach that you took to it. Um, so it, it's apparent that you've worked really, really hard at the FIAU to get Malta off the grey list so quickly. And, it's, and it sounds like there was a lot of collaboration there as well. But do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Any advice that you would give to other countries that might find themselves on the grey list in the future? So I think the first thing would be, as I mentioned, to try to see it as much as possible in a positive light and see it as something that can ultimately improve your systems and you have the international, you know, standards that are guiding you as to where you need to improve, which is, you know, very important. Another thing I would say is um, coordination, really good coordination is crucial. As I was mentioning, Malta did this through the National Coordinating Committee. Because you will know, especially, I mean, for our action points, but I think generally um, the action points and recommended actions normally do not require the work of just one authority. They really require authorities to come together and coordinate and do the work together. So it's really important that you have good collaboration and good coordination. I think planning is really important too. So to plan throughout the entire process and to dedicate, you know, the adequate resources to planning. And when it comes to resources, to ensure that the resources are there for long-term sustainability. And this is something that the FATF does consider, especially on the on-site. So they are checking that this isn't just a plan that is being implemented for a month and is not sustainable. So it's really important that if you, for example, have more resources, that you look at the fact that this is a long-term goal and there's long-term sustainability there. Um, something else is credibility. So having detailed statistics, detailed record keeping, and seeing this as a way of doing business so not keeping statistics sort of last minute when you have a request but throughout the course of of the regulators work it's really important and something that I think is is really really key is staff morale and under, and the staff understanding the process so I think what can sometimes happen is you can get bogged down in your day-to-day. -day. So, for example, if you work in supervision of financial institutions, you might be really well-versed with CDD. You might be very well-versed with the preventive measures, but then you're not really well-versed with the mutual evaluation process, with other recommended actions. And 
I think it's really important for staff and, and employees to understand sort of the greater picture of the FATF's work and why they do what they do. Because sometimes things may seem overly bureaucratic. For example, when you're keeping very, very detailed statistics, if your staff does not understand why you are keeping these statistics, it can, it can seem sometimes even maybe unnecessary. So I think um, the regulator and people involved in the process understanding the greater picture is one of the most important um, aspects and this really helps helps with everybody coming together and collaborating. That's really helpful thank you. Consuelo Marzi thank you so much for talking to me today it's been a really fascinating discussion and you've given us some great insight into the grey listing process and it's been really lovely to hear from you as part of our women in financial crime podcast series too. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Themis, please visit our website at www.crime.financial.